Good morning. Please find your way in God's precious words to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verse 21. Yeah, it's amazing. The cross brings light. doesn't make sense unless you know the truth. It does give us light. As we saw two weeks ago, Jesus is in the making unclean, clean business. That's what he does. Amen? Jesus and his disciples had crossed over the Sea of Galilee, and when they had reached the other side, they found out quickly that the welcoming party was not what they had expected. They were greeted by a man with a demon, a man possessed by an unclean spirit. And we talked about that, you know, that there, there's a spiritual battle that is going on every day, and how if you have a biblical worldview, it's very easy to see this battle being carried out, just as the word says. And that's why God tells us to put on the full armor of God that we read about in Ephesians 6. Something to make note of. Ephesians 6.10, just before God talks about the armor, listen to what God says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We cannot fight this battle in our own strength. As a matter of fact, we cannot do life in our own strength. Amen? We are strong in the Lord. So never, ever, ever let that thought leave your mind. We get our strength from the Lord. Listen, <clears throat> we get through all the times of trouble. We make it to the next day when it seems like we're not able to put one foot in front of the other. We flee from, uh, we flee from temptation and we fight this battle all in, in his strength. Amen? So, so it is a, life is a spiritual battle at all times, and so we must be equipped at all times. Now, when Jesus had set his foot on the shore, he was immediately, Mark likes to use that word, confronted by the unclean spirit. The unclean spirit says to Jesus, or he was crying out with a loud voice to Jesus, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Which is a very important statement. The demons know who Jesus is. And what's so amazing about this statement is that they proclaim that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. He is indeed the Son of the Most High God. We don't hear anyone else make that statement here in Mark until Jesus dies on the cross. Chapter 15, write that verse in your margins there. Chapter 15, verse 39, listen to what, what happens. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. You see, to that soldier, Jesus was. He, he was the son of God. He didn't know that Jesus was going to come out of the grave. <laughs> he looked at his past tense. If he had known, he would have said Jesus is the Son of God, like the unclean spirit did. When they saw Jesus, when the unclean spirit saw Jesus, they knew who Jesus was and is. And that's why the unclean spirits immediately, grudgingly submitted to Jesus' superior power. The demons immediately recognized Jesus and his authority. They knew who Jesus was and what his great power could do to them. And that's why that unclean spirit asked, what is it that you have to do with us? And we kind of asked that question last week. 
What in the world is Jesus doing over there? Jesus was on the other shore conversing with a man with an unclean spirit, living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, all in an unclean Gentile territory. What in the world is Jesus doing there? Why was Jesus penetrating this territory, this unclean territory? What was he doing? This is so important to know. We have to know this in order to, to, to understand the text that's before us today and to keep everything in context. What was he doing? He was carrying out the mission that he proclaimed from the beginning. He was bringing the nations into the kingdom of God, and he was doing it God's way. We always have to point out, remember, Israel was looking for a military takeover of the nations. They were thinking that when God came back to set up his kingdom on earth, God was going to judge the nations. Because the nations throughout time had been oppressing Israel. So in their minds, they're saying, you know, hey, God's going to take care of this for us. He's supposed to judge them by human might. But instead, Jesus comes in, overcomes the nations by destroying their power through the kingdom of God. Jesus, the embodiment of the kingdom of God, has made all things clean. He allowed the demons to go into the pigs and he sent them off. So in a sense, the, the nation's power went into the pigs, and then he drives that power into the sea. God is thus bringing the nations to account by delivering them from the demonic powers. He knocked down those barriers. It's okay to take the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God into the nations. Jesus is saying, look, I care about you, Israel. Yes, I do. You are my chosen ones. And I care about the nations also. And he demonstrated it that, that day when he was confronted by a demon-possessed man in an unclean land. And it was at that point that Jesus sent out the first missionary. He sent this man, this restored man, the, this man who had received the grace and mercy from God. He sent him out to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations. He went out, and what did he do? He told how much Jesus had done for him, which brings up a good point here. This man didn't have a seminary degree. He had not taken an evangelism explosion program uh, to go out and to share the gospel. He did what Jesus told him to do. Jesus told him to go tell how much I have done for you. Now, some people will say, well, you know, I, I, I don't know how to share the good news. I don't know how to share the, the good news of salvation. And I will say to them, well, if you're saved, then go just tell how much Jesus has done for you. It's just that easy. You tell them, hey, I was once lost, but now I'm found. That's an easy one to remember. You tell them how Jesus saved your soul. Nothing that you did. You tell them that you put your trust in the blood of Jesus for your salvation. We just have to be able to tell how much Jesus has done for us because we are in the mission field every day we rise out of the bed. Amen? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Turn from whatever you're trusting in for your salvation and turn to Jesus. He is the one that has the power to save and that's what we are to proclaim. That's what we are, go, are to proclaim in our mission field every day, and we live it out. 
So we are all commissioned to go tell. So Jesus commissions the first missionary. He sends a Gentile to the Gentile nations. I don't have it in writing, but I'm sure he was pretty bold in his witness. I'm sure he was recognized everywhere he went, and we should be too, you know. Now, now that Jesus, the work is done there, they get back, uh, they get back to the other side of the sea. He's leaving that side. We have one crowd who's, who's, uh, uh, who sighed with relief as they saw Jesus leaving. But as we will see, there's another crowd was waiting to welcome him when he returns home to Capernaum. So let's look at verse 21. Follow as I read. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged up about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and, and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in him that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion of weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and, went and where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This text here is called a Markin sandwich. What's a Markin sandwich? Well, it, it's when Mark tells us about an event that happens inside of another event. He does this a couple times in his text. But here in our text today, we have the, the healing of Jairus' daughter that is interrupted 
by a woman with a, with a hemorrhage. The, the contrast between these two needy people is striking, and it reveals the wideness of Christ's love and mercy. So we have Jairus, who was an important synagogue officer, and the woman, who was an anonymous nobody. Yet Jesus welcomed and helped both of them. Jairus was about to lose a daughter who had given him 12 years of happiness, and the woman was about to lose an aff affliction that had brought her 12 years of sorrow. Being a synagogue officer, Jairus was no doubt wealthy, but his wealth could not save his dying daughter. The woman was already bankrupt. She had given the doctors all of her money, and yet none of them could cure her. Both Jairus and, and, and the poor woman found the answers to their needs at the feet of Jesus. We will see today the man who is the ruler will be brought low, and the woman who is humble will be lifted high. And as we walk through these two stories, we need to take notice of a couple common elements of the two. Both stories are of females healed by the touch of Jesus. Both are called daughters by Jesus. The woman's illness and the girl's age are the same, 12 years. In both stories, Jesus is met by rebukes. And both stories bring Jesus into contact with uncleanliness. The theme of uncleanliness connects the present sandwich narrative with the previous story that we studied a couple weeks ago. And, and, and make note here in chapter 5, all three characters, the, the demon-possessed man, the unclean woman, and the child, all transfer their uncleanliness to Jesus, and to each, Jesus bestows the cleansing wholeness of God. Again, I say, Jesus is in the business of taking the unclean and making it clean. And we will see that all three, all three of these people were in a hopeless situation. What, what I'm saying is there was no hope for the man who lived among the tombs. Society had done chained him up and tied him out there at the grave. They'd given up on him. The woman, she had exhausted every avenue known by man to heal her. Nothing there. She was even worse than when she started. And of course, there's nothing humanly possible to do for a child that had passed away. All three were in a hopeless situation. But the good news is, the good news is, each one finds hope in Jesus when all human efforts are exhausted. So let's walk through these encounters that the people had with Jesus on that day. As I said, Jesus crosses back to Jewish territory on the western shore of the lake. And compared to the voyage eastward, the westward crossing was pretty uneventful. You guys know how my mind wanders when I'm studying, and I'm always asking these questions. You should ask questions, too, as you read and study the word. But I was thinking about those disciples. What was going through their mind when Jesus said, let's get back in that boat. <laughs> and go to the other side. <laughs> you, know, you remember the troubles they had going over there. Were they thinking about the last trip and how rough it was and how scared they were? Were they hesitant to get back in that boat? No. Were they? Maybe they were trusting and resting in Jesus to safely take them back. I'm sure they had a lot to think about as they climbed 
back into that boat and went back across the sea. Well, they made it safely, and immediately, Mark likes to use that word, a crowd gathered about them, about him, and, and as he was beside the sea, then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my daughter is at the point of death, my little daughter, he says. Come and lay your hand. Just put your hand on her that she may be well and live. Everybody knows the power of Jesus. Jairus knew the power of Jesus. Let's talk about him for a second. He's one of the rulers of the synagogue. That means that he is the head of the local Jewish wor worshiping community. He he's not a worship leader or a professional trained scribe or a rabbi, but a lay member of the synagogue. He was entrusted by the elders of the community with general oversight of the synagogue. So his, his responsibilities included the building maintenance, the security, procuring the scrolls for scripture reading, arranging of the Sabbath worship by designating scripture readers and prayers and preachers, you know. He, he was the one, he, he ran the whole program at the synagogue. He, he was trusted and respected by the community. People looked up to him as a leader in the community. And the first thing that this respected Jewish man did when he laid his eyes on Jesus is that he fell at his feet. Think about this. I'm sure the crowd made an opening to let Jairus get through to Jesus. I'm sure they did. And I'm sure when he fell at the feet of Jesus, everyone could see what was going on. All their eyes were on this situation. Jairus just made a huge public statement. Know this. He was held accountable to the religious establishments. But that didn't matter to him at this time. Wasn't even a thought. This is a bold step for him. We see him come humbly. We see him come and fall down worshipfully. We see him beg in full confidence for the healing of his daughter. How bold is he to do this? He may have lost his position at the synagogue. He may have become an outcast for worshiping Jesus. But it didn't matter to him. It did not matter. He went straight to the feet of the one who had the power to save his daughter. He didn't care who saw him or what people thought about him or what they said about him. We see in the text, in the text here, there were people who laughed at Jesus. This did not affect Jairus' faith. He went to the feet of Jesus. He didn't back down. He was not ashamed. Hey, there's a challenge for all of us, right? How many times have we shrunk back from Jesus because we're worried about what people will think about us? Especially teenagers, especially the young people. How many times have you hidden your faith because of peer pressure? Don't do it. Be bold as Jairus was. His faith was rock solid because there is never, there never is any statement that comes out of his lips but confidence in Jesus and his power. Jairus had full confidence that Jesus was able to do what he was begging to do. There was no doubt. He fell at his feet and pleaded, my little daughter's dying, please come. The daughter's condition is critical. The Greek actually means at death's door. Or, or sinking fast. It's an emergency. We need to get there quickly. 
And despite of all the people crowding around Jesus, all of them wanting to get close to him, Jesus shows his love and compassion to this one man. All those people. And he shows his love and compassion to this one man. He shows to the world the infinite worth of each individual. Don't ever miss that. Jesus cares for each and every one of us. Don't ever think that Jesus doesn't know or doesn't care or doesn't love you, or doesn't understand you, doesn't know what you're going through. He does. He does. And the text says that Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So there's high hopes in Jairus' heart. He's on, Jesus is on his way to his house to save his daughter. And there's an interruption. There's an interruption. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered under much, much under many physicians. Spent all she had. She's no better. She's worse off. She heard the reports about Jesus, and she said, if I could just touch his garment, if I could just get to him, I will be made well. As we can see, this woman who had a hemorrhage was apparently incurable and slowly destroying her. her. It was destroying her. The pain and emotional pressure she was under was unbearable. According to the law, she was ceremonial unclean, which restricted both her religious and social life. If she had a family, if they touched her, they would be considered unclean and unable to go to the synagogue or to the temple or to socialize. They were an unclean family for 12 years. On top of that, she spent all she had on doctors and was no better. When you consider her many disappointments with the doctors and the poverty it brought her, you wonder how she endured as long as she did heartbroken, and helpless. Now this event is also recorded in the Gospel of Luke, but he did not record that the doctors took all her money. He just said she was incurable. Dr. Luke <laughs> just stated her condition. Thank you. I need to take a minute. I need to get that. Dr. Luke just stated her condition. I guess that other information about the doctors took all her money was not important to write down for him. However, she let nothing stand in her way as she pushed through the crowd and came to Jesus. So by faith in the power of Jesus, she was able to touch his garment. This lady thought, this lady believed, this lady knew that if she could just touch his clothes, she would be healed and made clean again. And she does. And immediately she's healed. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately, Mark, you like to use that word, turned around, turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? He stops walking towards Jairus' house. Remember, his daughter is sinking fast. Death is at the door. Jesus is on the way to cure this girl. An emergency in the eyes of everyone who knows what's going on. And yet Jesus stops walking and asks, who touched my clothes? And his very sharp disciples said, you see the crowd pressing around you? And, and you say, who touched me? <laughs> Are you kidding me, Jesus? Really? Jesus knew who touched him. He knew that. 
He asked this question for their benefit. He asked this question for her benefit. He wanted this to be known. Jesus wanted to, to be to her something more than a healer. He wanted to be her savior and friend as well. He wanted, to look in, he wanted her to look into his face, feel his tenderness, and hear his loving words of assurance. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She, like the disciples when Jesus calmed the wind and sea, she, like the Gentile pig farmers when they saw the demoniac healed, just like them, she was full of fear because she felt and saw the power of God. She knew that she was in the presence of the Son of God, and she came forward in fear and trembling. I'm thinking Jairus may have been a, a bit on edge when Jesus stopped walking, started talking. We don't know how long this conversation lasted. You know, we just get snippets of what, what happens here. It could have been a while. She told him the whole truth. But seconds seemed like hours to Jairus. We don't know how long that took. But what we do know is there is no panic in Jesus. There's no panic there. He had all of this under control. Verse 34, and Jesus said to her, he said to this lady, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Salvation came to that lady that day. Not only was she immediately cured, not only was she physically made clean, but she was spiritually made clean by Jesus on that day. She heard the most precious words she could ever have ever heard. Jesus called her daughter. She's now a daughter of Christ. I'm sure she didn't know what to do with herself at that moment. The joy that was put into her life had that on that day had to be inexpressible. The peace that she received that day had to be incomprehensible. And the eternal life she now possesses is indescribable. I'm sure she did not know what to do with herself at that moment when Jesus calls her daughter. So not only is this lady healed of her physical ailments, all the social implications that she had to deal with for 12 years are gone. And most importantly, she was healed of her sin. Amen? And while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some, some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. You know, the Lord could have healed the child from right where he was standing. He could have just said she's healed. He didn't have to go to the house, did he? He, he, could, have, he could have done it when he stepped on shore. He could have done it from the other side if he wanted to. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is teaching. 
Think about this for a moment. All these people have seen all the healings that Jesus has done. Everybody knows his power. Everybody's crowding around him to see another miracle. They have seen healing after healing. They have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Now, in today's time, we like to call Jesus the miracle worker. But did you notice how the person who came from the ruler's house addressed Jesus? Did you catch the title he used? Teacher. Teacher. Jesus is the teacher. All those healings, all those miracles, and he's still known as the teacher. That is who Christ is. If Jesus had just healed the girl from where he was, there would not have been that personal tender touch that Jesus wants us to know about. The people would have not seen that personal compassion and sympathy that God has for his children. He wanted the people to know who he is, so he did not just start healing everybody just to be a healer. He wanted them to know who Christ is. He wants them to know the attributes of God. He didn't go around just healing. It's not like that. Jesus was teaching. He was teaching the world about a loving, caring, personal Savior. He says, do not fear, only believe. He tells Jairus, do not fear, only believe. He's teaching. He's teaching. And he takes Peter, James, and John. They go into the house, and there's all this commotion going on. They got, the professional mourners were already there. You know, so that's what I'm saying. We don't know the time it happened here. You know, they were prepared for this girl to die. This is common for a Jew Jewish funeral. You know, even the poorest people were required to hire at least two flute players and one wailing woman for every funeral. I'm sure they made a lot of noise. They would set the mood for everyone mourning. That, that was their job, to set the mood. And when Jesus entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? You know, he's looking at these people. Why are you doing this? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, which you would think is kind of disrespectful, but not really. Think about this. They laughed because they knew the child was dead. You know, that's why they laughed at this guy. You know, several commentators argued the state, that the statement about the child sleeping should be taken literally. That is, that this story is really about a a resuscitation rather than a resurrection from the dead. They would say that the miracle was a deliverance from a premature burial rather than a raising from the dead. No, no. Again, I say the professional mourners were not in the habit of being deceived by a comatose patient. The reference to the sleeping may indicate to Jairus the way Jesus wants him to see the girl. And hence the way God would have us regard those who have died in the faith. The child is not dead but sleeps. Were the words of the Lord of hope for Jairus and his wife. And to anyone else who hears these words. Listen. To the believer, death is only sleep. For, for the body rests until the moment of resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 The spirit does not sleep. For in death the spirit of the believers leaves the body, James 2, 26, and goes to be with Christ, Philippians 1, 20 through 23. It is the body that sleeps, awaiting the return of the Lord and the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. The child had passed. 
It was a resurrection, not a resuscitation. The truth is, this is a great encouragement to all who have had Christ love, who has had Christians, loved ones, and friends depart in death. In His word of hope to all of us, this is our word of hope. This is the living hope we have. The Spirit is with God, and the body sleeps. So Jesus takes the little girl by the hand, and immediately the girl got up and began to walk. Jesus didn't say any magic words, anything like that. He simply went to the girl's bedside and took her by the hand. He touched her, a compassionate touch. And I bring up the point again, the fact that Jesus touched this girl's hand would have, made, would have amazed the proper synagogue leader who was standing beside him and the disciples and everyone else. Why? Because touching a dead body meant to become unclean. But Jesus is the one who makes the unclean clean again. Amen? He had already dealt with a demon-possessed man among the tombs. He touched and healed a woman with the incurable issue of blood. So by touching the dead girl, Jesus once again confirmed compassion was more important than the letter of the law. The Son of the Most High God is indeed the conqueror over danger, demons, disease, and death. This series of miracles here in chapter 5 illustrates how Jesus met and helped all kinds of people, from his own disciples to a pair of uh, demoniacs, from an ailing lady to a child that has passed, the kingdom of God has indeed come. So as we look back at this sandwich that Mark has given us, Jairus and the woman really have only one thing in common. Both are victims of desperate circumstances who have no hope apart from Jesus. Other than that, they are as far apart as they can be. Jairus has a name and a position as a ruler of a synagogue. He has enough clout to summon Jesus to his house. The woman has none of these. Her name is not even given or remembered. And she has no position. She is only identified by what? Her shame. She must approach Jesus from behind, whereas Jairus approaches Jesus face to face. Jairus is a person of status and privilege. She has none. But his position in life did not hold an advantage. Listen, his position in life does not hold an advantage regarding the one thing that really matters. Faith. Faith is the one thing that levels the playing field for all people. It is the woman who exemplifies faith. And in this respect, their roles are now reversed. She put on a display of faith for all to see. Even though she did not want to be seen, she showed us what faith in Jesus really looks like. Despite her embarrassing circumstances, she pushes through both crowd and disciples to reach Jesus. Her gender, namelessness, uncleanliness, and shame, none of those stopped her from reaching Jesus, not one. Because of her faith, she was able to hear those precious words from Jesus, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jairus was there. And he heard Jesus <clears throat> speak those words to that lady. 
He heard those words. So when Jesus says to him, do not be afraid, just believe, Jairus should have understood that he must have that kind of faith that that woman had. The woman exemplifies and defines faith for Jairus, which means to trust Jesus despite everything to the contrary. That kind of faith knows no limits. Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom of God, and he put it on display here in chapter 5. He took the kingdom to all the nations, and today we have seen that he took the kingdom of God. We have, today we have seen that the kingdom of God is not a man's effort. Both people today had exhausted every human effort to help their situation. But it was only Jesus who could heal, rescue, and clean and bring them into the kingdom of God. The only one. Colossians 1.13, write this in your margins. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It is Jesus who takes the unclean and makes it clean for all eternity. You know, as Mark penned this letter, he wanted us to know two things. That Jesus is indeed the son of the most high God. And that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Everything that we read in these four gospels that we have always takes us back to John chapter 20 verse 31. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have eternal life in his name. And like we have seen today, the scriptures we have were written with the purpose of giving evidence. It gives us proof concerning the fact that Jesus is the one and only Savior who saves us from our sins. So you have to ask yourself today, have you put your faith in Jesus? If not, then today is the day of salvation for you. Do that today, and Jesus will welcome you into the kingdom. Pastor Jerry.